y'all thinking, what show is this? This could not be Sunday mornings for the people. And indeed it is. You are listening to the music of one of the most popular Afro-Latina artists in the world, even in her death, Celia Cruz. If you are not up on Celia Cruz, the queen of salsa music, you need to be up on her. So, we're going to talk a little election. We're going to talk a lot of uh, politics. But today, I want to celebrate the African diaspora because we're still in Black History Month. I don't care how many shamrocks I see. We are still in Black History Month. Valentine's Day, fine. Black History Month is still going on. All right. We got 10 whole days. Okay. I'm sorry. Nine whole days. We are still in Black History Month. And you know what else is in nine days, Dylan? Chicago can have substantive change in nine days. We got an election, not just for mayor, but 15 aldermanic seats and a new police board. Say it with me, church. And a new police board. We can change this city from the inside out. If y'all go out and vote, early voting is open in your neighborhood. And if you don't know where to go vote, ChicagoElections.gov can tell you where exactly to go vote. So, you guys, nine days, nine days. And yesterday, our mayor basically said, if you ain't going to vote for me, stay home. Black woman during Black History Month with people still fighting voter suppression at the Supreme Court, with the Voting Rights Act being stripped year after year by this conservative Supreme Court, you have a black woman running for office saying, if you don't vote for me, you might as well stay home. Let's really think about that. Let's let's unpack that for a minute, right? If it was almost anybody else, if Paul Vallis or Chuy Garcia said that, then they definitely would be all over everywhere. And they say Biden said something similar. Not really. He never told people to stay home. He questioned blackness, which he should never have done. Never, ever, 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 ever. Because other black people, as long as you got melanin in your veins, other black people can't even tell you if you black or not. There are a million and five ways to be black, and all of them should be celebrated. From punk rock to hip hop, every should be celebrated. You cannot say a person is not black because they grew up in Northridge. You can you cannot say a person is not black because their parents had money. You cannot say a person is not black because they don't know proper diction or they do know proper diction. You can't say that. And you also can't tell people if you're not going to vote, don't go vote for me. Every Chicagoan a voting age from Morgan Park to Rogers Park and everywhere in between should vote in this election. 
if you are of sound mind and you have not gotten your absentee ballot, go vote. And honestly, as much as I want you to vote for a particular candidate in the mayor's race and in the aldermanic races, if you are five, Desmond, yeah, if you are four, uh, that's a toss-up five. There's no other question than Desmond Yancey. Six, there's no other question other than Will Hall. 20, y'all know what it is. Jeanette Taylor all day. 21, Ronnie Mosley. But if you don't, if you're still uncomfortable with that, if you know who you want to vote for, do some research. It is not too late to research candidates. It is not too late to even go on Twitter and look up their names. Go vote, y'all. Don't listen to somebody who got cut up pickles on a Super Bowl spread. <laughs> Dylan, can I be petty? I mean, I think that's in the eye of the beholder, right? I just, I really feel a type of way. And I have gone, Hilario, my brother who's not here today, I have gone on our tangent of love for Chicago food. All right? Mm -hmm. Like, I love my city. The Italian beefs. And And I love (laughs) food from my city. I love Italian beef and beefies and pizza puffs and and gyros and all of that so much that I have figured out how to veganize it and it's good. Don't come for me. Whoa, wait. You veganize the gyro? How'd you do that? If we don't, I don't want to get us too far off topic. <laughs> Mushrooms. Anyway, but and you use all the seasoning and you slow roast it and you slice it the same way and it's fire. My favorite is a veganized Italian beef. I know it sounds crazy, but it's good because I missed it. Not eating it. I missed it. But to look at the mayor of Chicago with shrimp cocktail on the table that does not even on ice, just sliced bread. Like a fat pickle that she just sliced up. It was like, here you go. That makes me angry. And no, the dailies was never good for our city. Never, ever, not once. However, Super Bowl, playoff games, the spread that daily used to have in the newspaper when we played the Knicks, of competing with them about our food, saying Chicago hot dogs trumps a New York hot dog every day of the week. It gave us pride in our city, in the food of our city. Maybe that's why I love the food of our city so much. Then some cheese that ain't even being warmed up on the table. Where's the pride in that at? And where's the pride of our city, especially when you can get everything delivered? Locally, too. Locally, too. Where was the Harold's? Where was the Uncle Remus's? Where was the... The Wiener Circle. Where was the sauce? The, Where was the Wiener Circle? The Red Hots. Even if she did some new stuff, like there's a steak hot dog place that's black on. Even if she did some new stuff. What about that? What about the tacos? I don't even care if she would have ordered a big thing of Ruby's Tacos that is not a sponsor of this show, but Hilario and I have a sick obsession with... What? I don't care. But shrimp cocktail not on ice and sliced bread shows you have no pride in the food for your from your city. No pride in yourself and you don't even like your guests. Well, it also kind of shows like I know, you know, 
I definitely always want to encourage people to be transplants here, but I don't know if... I feel like it's kind of felt in some of her policy decisions that she's not really from here and or hasn't really been intertwined in some of the communities, you know. And I don't know. I mean, maybe that's just my observation. But, you know, a Super Bowl spread, you know, at least you're going to have to have some Italian beef and or something to serve a bunch of people, you know, like maybe some wings potentially or something that at least gives people, as you said, Chicago's unique, and we should have pride in that uniqueness, you know. And uh, that does not show it, you know. I love shrimp, but I don't know if that shows it. I wouldn't eat that shrimp. It wasn't on ice. You can't have. <laughs> I was over at my friend's house, who is comes from a Haitian family, Haitian background. This is my other family. Shout out to the Supreze. I've literally been around them since I was three. Um, was over there for Super Bowl Sunday. Not only did they have various chilies and uh, smoked sausages that was put on a grill, but they did, instead of Italian beef, they did Italian turkey with the hoagies and the bread. And you want to know why? And there was wings and there was mild sauce. You want to know why? Because we from Chicago. Being Haitian, my family being Belizean, um, my friend's family being Jamaican, we are still from here. There is nothing that denies that. And it's our beautiful melting pot of here that gets us to where you are. You don't get a jerk taco man everywhere. You get it in Chicago. So to have them warm shrimp cocktails and the cheese is not warm and just a sliced bread made me more angry than other people. But then telling people not to vote, like that really messed with me. If somebody chooses not to vote, if somebody chooses to not vote in certain races, I think it's a shame, but it's their choice. It is not an elected official saying just stay home. Mm-hmm. Because, honestly, we should all be encouraging civic uh, engagement, whatever that looks like, you know, because, unfortunately, you know, <laughs> that's how democracy dies, is when people stay home, when people don't care, and they feel that it doesn't impact them. And I've heard that echoed by other people in different spaces, you know, but that's the unfortunate thing, is you have to, you know, <laughs> or the fortunate thing, we have to get people involved, you know, and, and elected officials stating that is really atrocious, you know, but, I mean... It's very clear she wants to win, you know, and however you feel about her, I mean, you know, you however you feel about winning, you know, you cannot <laughs> basically encourage people not to vote. That's it's despicable in many lights, you know, and, and whoever they choose, however they feel about them, you know, I have my own feelings about uh, Mr. Paul Vallis. But, you know, if somebody wants to go out there and support him and that's their man. Hey, that's how they feel. And they should go do that. You know, look, if somebody wants to support Paul Vallis, I, I question them. Yeah, I question them. I definitely. question their motives. I question the direction they want Chicago to go. But that's who they want to, to support. That's their choice. Y'all know who my choice is every day of the week, right? 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. Y'all know my choice. But at the same time, but at the same time, you have a right in this country to have a choice. That's the thing. In this city, you have a right to have a choice. We are the home of the first black congressman voted after Reconstruction from the North. We are the home of the first black president. 
If you don't mind me asking, what was his name specifically, the first black congressman? Oh, my God. It just flew out of my head, too. It's okay. I'm going to Google it. Depreece. <laughs> uh, Depre- Oscar, oh, Oscar Depreece. Depreece. Okay. He was the first black congressman um, outside of the South ever voted, but first black one after reconstruction. He was also the first black county commissioner. Hmm. But we are the home of so many firsts. And unfortunately, it seems that we're also the home of the first black mayor to say, stay home. Mm. That's sad. It's a shame. That's sad. We'll have to take a break pretty soon, but I wanted to get into our topic for today. So, Dylan, do you know who Arturo Schomburg is? No, but I'm I'm imagining is Schomburg named after him, or he had some relation to that, or is that something no, different? Oh, okay, that's a different Schomburg. <laughs> Arturo Schomburg was a New Yorker, but he became a New Yorker after coming from Puerto Rico, mm-hmm. and as a child, because he was a darker skinned Puerto Rican man, his teacher told him he had no history because he was African. There was no history to talk about with him. So in Puerto Rico, when they talk about, talked about the Spanish and they talked about the French, they said, oh, well, you have no history because you're African. So Arturo Schomburg grew up, hopped a boat to America, came to America, came to New York, worked in the post office. But during his life, he collected all the articles, all the artifacts, all the everything about black history and really was one of the luminaries of the Harlem Renaissance Mm. as a postal worker. He didn't have a degree. He was a postal worker that was told that he didn't have a history. So he collected it so much so that Langston Hughes like went to his house. Zora Neale Hurston went to his house and His collection became one of the first library collections in the United States. New York City has a Schomburg Library of Cultural Studies. Mm. Arturo Schomburg is one of the forefathers of the study of black history. And he is an Afro-Latino. When we come back, we're going to be talking to another Afro-Latino woman who's an organizer who is making all the changes, Joanna Maldonado. And we're going to talk about the double-edged sword. Also, Celia Cruz, who you listen to coming into this show, is an Afro-Latina. Also, I am an Afro-Latina. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back. Nine days to change. See, see, I'm like Hilario and Brandon. I can freestyle over anything. Anything. Anyway, welcome to the show. Our guest, organizer, teacher, young people extraordinaire, Afro-Latina, um, new to this plant-based world, Miss Joanna Maldonado. How are you, Joanna? I think I think all of that is accurate as an introduction. Absolutely. Yeah. Those are things that I am working into my life and being intentional about. 
and not just kind of spending the days, but knowing what I want to do with every day. I get that. I get that. So we hear a lot about it's Black History Month and we hear a lot about black and brown divides. We hear that black people and Latino people can't get together or Latinx people can't get together. Um, but there are people like you and I who stand on that divide. How how would you categorize your dual identity? Uh, challenge. <laughs> um, it is a position of challenging myself, challenging my ancestors, <laughs> challenging what people know, and a constant sense of like unlearning for myself <laughs> because there's a lot of stuff that was put in me, right, that feeds into what other people also do. And it is only going to be us folks, right, who who do sit in that divide that you can't tell me I'm not, I'm not Latina and you can't tell me I'm not Black. And it is at that intersection that I have the ability to get people to listen, right, to get people to think about things differently um, and, and think about how we talk about other people and, and humanity as a whole. And we are one, and it has just been this construct that has continued to divide us, um, but that we have to do better. We just got it. We got to do better, and we have to do better on so many levels. So, Joanna, let's talk a little bit about you. Where are your people from? So, I, I am a, a child of the world. <laughs> um, I am from, my dad is the, from the Dominican Republic. My mom, who is a black man. Um, and when my friend saw him for the first time two weeks ago, he's like, you look like a cacique, right? You have, you know, blood in you. Mm-hmm. Um, and when he saw everyone in my family, it's like the features are all there. Mm-hmm. But he is a black man. Okay. Uh, my mom from Nicaragua, who, okay. you know, descendants of the Incas and Mayans. <laughs> um, and then we know everybody else that's come into our countries messing up everything, whether it be the Spaniards, the... Asian, there's a little bit of everything in in me. I haven't done one of those DNA tests, but um, it's evident. It is evident that, you know, the the folks that have been around. And so I was born in New Orleans, a true melting pot, if you will, of of this country. Happy Mardi Um, Gras. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And yeah. And, you know, here in the struggle since I was like six months in Chicago. So that's, that's my people are from everywhere. So what's funny is um, New Orleans has a special history, of Afro-Latino history that people don't really realize. Um, my family is from Belize by way of St. Vincent Island, where we were kicked off of. Um, but when you are Honduran and Nicaraguan and Belizean, a lot of those ships go to the port of New Orleans because a lot of those people are sailors. And, and for a lot of us, New Orleans is, especially Afro-Latino people from Central America, uh, is our point of origin. Yeah. And, and it's it was strange. Just, I- 
Huh? And it's strange because everybody thinks New York and they don't think New Orleans. So a little bit of, you know, my grandmother started talking to me more <laughs> as, as she's gotten older and has the time, right, has moved from surviving to I need to now tell my story. And I asked her, I'm like, why New Orleans? How did that come about? And she said in the 80s. There was, it is a big port and shipping town, and they were giving more green cards to folks that were applying to come into New Orleans. It made more sense than trying to get in the bottleneck of New York or California or Florida. So it was their intuition and their knowledge of the system that they figured out, oh, New Orleans needs people for employees. Let's 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 try to get our visas through there. So no different than the migrants that come up from California, from Mexico. Um, they the they, the U.S. opened that doorway for folks because they needed people to work those ports. Because as you said, many of them are sailors and can navigate waters and and no trade. So I have a question for you. So. You, Donna, you speak Spanish. I don't. I don't come from a Spanish-speaking um, country. Let me let me pause for a minute. So when we talk about people who are from Latin America, we still are talking about those that were colonized, those countries that were colonized by the English, the French, the Portuguese, and not just Spain. Mm-hmm. And people forget that. So, yeah, they might not always say it, but people that are from Haiti are Latinx people. They were co- they were colonized by the French. The other side of that island was colonized by the Spanish. That does not mean that those people are not from Latin America. That means they were colonized by a different group of people. So Belize was colonized by the English. My people are one of seven groups of people who were never enslaved in the Americas. That's for various reasons, and I can go into that. But we were never enslaved in Americas, so we speak our native language, which is Garifuna, and we speak English. So I didn't grow up speaking Spanish. What were your experiences when you entered communities that were... Black African American communities or Latinx communities that weren't Caribbean Latinx communities speaking Spanish or not speaking Spanish. What was your experiences dealing with that? I mean, all over the map, right? It, again, it was just like, oh, okay. <laughs> there's there's a whole plethora of of colonizers that we've got to deal with here. And there has been an intentional divide among our people, right? And so when I think about the fact that Dominicans celebrate their independence, not from Spain, but from Haiti, it is, it just makes my skin boil, right? Because it was given the division between the English and the French and then um, and the Spanish, thinking about, how do we take this indoctrinated mass at this point and have them continue to fight on our Spanish behalf against their black brothers and sisters from the same island because they were told that they were going to be under Haitian rule and they didn't, and, and that that was they they were going to be worse off for it, right? And so 
we're still to this day dealing with that, right? There is some empathy, right? There is some level of, 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 of there's good Haitians, there's bad Haitians. And it's something that like, even from in one single day, my dad will say some crazy stuff at the same time. But when it comes to like folks my age, right? I think we recognize that like, this history has just been divisive and we need to stop regardless of what we believe in, regardless of what our parents believe in, we have to find commonalities because we're more alike than we are different. And the the divide has been so intentional for so long that it doesn't make sense for us to keep keep doing it. If we can, we can now recognize where it's coming from. And the same thing when, you know, I, I, I actually haven't met that many folks who believe in Brazil being in the city of Chicago most of my life. Um, but when I've met black Mexicans, because they exist, right? Black Hondurans, um, black Nicaraguans when I was in Nicaragua, right? Outside of here, there is none, right? Outside of here, they see themselves as more Spanish than black. And so that breaks my heart, too, because I have been decolonizing my mentality and trying to uplift those African heritage, whether it be through food, culture, and mainly my spirituality, um, because we, we, we have to dig deeper. You know, my partner tells me, well, at least you know where your people come from. He's, you know, from the South, from Mississippi, migrated to Chicago, as his, you know, his grandparents did. And I'm like, you think we know, know our people? I'm like, our people are so brainwashed that, like, they think they're Spanish. <laughs> Being black, they think they're Spanish. You know what? There's a hilarity in that. There is a hilarity in that, especially with Spanish with people from French cultures, they may know where they are. They are from more than people who are from Spanish um cultures, which is so interesting to me because, well, as Henry Louis Gates says, in most of the Latin countries, everybody got a, a, grand, a black grandmother in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. They got a black grandmother that they want to hide. And as we talk about different states in Mexico, Afro-Mexican is becoming a thing on the Mexican census. Mm-hmm. Which is awesome. And yes. we like to forget that more slaves went to Brazil than ever went to the U.S. Came here. We forget that um, after uh, the Confederacy lost the Civil War, there were people who moved their whole plantations to Brazil to relive the antebellum South. Mm. Mm. There is a deep cultural and historical connection to fighting and fighting and colorism and keeping things alive that happened centuries ago, maybe here, maybe there, but there is a connection, right, between all of our racism and the racism that we see in those uh, different countries and islands. So for me, 
I come from Good Infinite People, which Good Infinite People were kidnapped um, to be slaves. The slave ship crashed on the coast of St. Vincent Island. The Arawak and Carib Indians on that island had already mixed. Um, and they basically already didn't trust white people. And they killed the slavers. And the Africans mixed. And they mixed with the Carib and the Arawak people that were there. And in St. Vincent Island, that's how we got the red Indians and the yellow Indians. So when the French and the British conspired with each other to take over St. Vincent Island, they divided us and left the red Indians, the darker skinned people, on a rock island to die. And we didn't. We sailed. We built boats. We sailed. We went to Guatemala. We went to Honduras. We went to Belize. We went to Nicaragua. There's around 600,000 people in the world that identify as Gadafina. Um, And I get to be one of them. Now, that means I get to know where my people, in a sense, come from, right? But I'm one of few in that diaspora that knows where we come from. So you spoke about it a little bit, but I want you to go a little deeper in talking about those Latinx people who see themselves as Spanish or really see themselves as white. Before I get into that for a second, right, actually dig, dug a little deeper. So my dad is a, um, from Samana mm-hmm. in the Dominican Republic. And when there there's this mythology about this mystic monster woman who had long hair, whose dialect is now being traced back to Arawak, to that's being traced back to places in Honduras, that could possibly be traced back to Belize, right? Mm-hmm. And they were the ones who escaped to the mountains when the colonizers came because they were able to see from that coast. And so they escaped to the mountains. And what the colonizers would tell the enslaved folks was, don't go to the mountains because there's a woman up there that's going to kill you, this mythology. But in reality, those were the folks that were helping others escape. So much so that there is a whole town or a couple of towns really by my dad's house where there are American refugee slaves that landed in Samana and maybe and they speak English. So maybe they were from America, maybe they were from 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 other places. Places, right. My point is they all connected, but yet if within this town they're seen as the English speaking black people, and they don't associate either because in their mentality, back to this this racial divide in our own mentality, is that, oh, I just asked my grandmother this morning because I told her I'm coming on the show. I'm like, what do you think about the term Afro-Latina? And she's like, well, there's, you know, there's good Afro-Latinos and there's bad Afro-Latinos. And I'm just like, well, what do you think about the term? Because it's a new terminology. And she says, well, I'm like, are you Afro-Latina? And she's like, no, I'm Dominican. I'm like, oh, <laughs> what do you mean? Like, how do you, how can you not accept and value the ancestry? And that is because it was beaten out of them, right? That is because she is coming up in an age where Trujillo, who is a dictator, is going around killing Haitians and killing people who are too black with the mentality of, 
you have to improve your race, right? By marrying people who are lighter skinned than you so that you can attain this level of lightness that all of a sudden is, 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 is good or, or means prosperity or means something else. And so there's this been this intentional distancing um, and labeling black as bad or, you know, not 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 going to amount to anything. And that the only way that we can do that is if we improve this by making it lighter. And so, you know, you think about the fact that, like, sometimes people say, oh, well, the Spanish were the good enslavers because they at least, you know, got to buy their their way out of slavery. But that was all it's the approach. Joanna, we got to take a quick break, but when we get back to that, I want to I want to go into the economics of this. So let's so let's take a quick break and when we come back we'll talk about the economics of this. Me despierto en tus brazos. Baila, baila conmigo. So Joanna, you know, I watch a documentary about anything, right? If you give me five minutes and and if you give me 10 minutes and it's a day where I can pay attention enough to read subtitles, I literally will watch a documentary about anything, a documentary about soba noodles in Japanese. Yes, I have watched it and I love it and it's great. But I ended up watching this documentary about sugar, right? Mm. And sugar basically steal plantations. And they mm-hmm. talked to this one, they called it a sugar camp in the Dominican Republic, where they basically kidnapped workers from Haiti and they were organizing. The Haitian government, I'm sorry, the Dominican government didn't really want to do anything about it. Basically in a statement because they were black. How does the colorism in Latin American countries, from your perspective, really prevent some of these Latin American countries from thriving? I mean, it's it's the same same old same old of every day, right? White is right, and white white mate, white white folks, whether they be mostly from Canada, I'm finding out um, a lot of Americans, Europeans that they believe is the way towards prosperity, as if they're not the most intelligent people who've survived on this planet. I don't understand their own lack of self-awareness, right? And so when you're talking about these um, sugarcane production and the fact that they're paying them pennies or nothing um, and the Dominican, Repo- the Dominican government's refusal to um, see anybody in the country as having human rights, right? They're seeing it as, well, they're in this country illegally so then they can work. But I was there three weeks ago. And every government construction project that was being done was by the Haitians. And every um, worker that was there to clean houses or beaches or bathrooms were Haitian. And the people cutting cane and and, and then in the fields all day are Haitian. So they are the backbone of the Dominican economy. 
yet the Dominicans refuse to see them as humans. And it breaks my freaking heart that, like, it, it, we're, we're in 2023 and, and they want to build a wall, right? At the same time, they allow them to come. My dad went to the, to the border and he just showed you pictures yesterday. They let, they, they're allowed to come into the country from sunup to sundown to do work, to come sell their products, to come work at the houses, to do all of the labor. But then they got to get out because once sundown comes, the whole country can become a sundown town. So, the story of Haiti in general breaks my heart. But the story of how the neighbor, literally, when we talk about Haiti and the Dominican Republic, we're talking about Illinois and Indiana. Mm -hmm. We're talking about people that share a border, Right. We are talking about people who may have the same deep ancestry. Right. Mm hmm. So. Do. Do you think the Dominican government realizes how powerful in the world that could be if they ever join forces with Haiti? They don't they don't want. Right. Because then that does not. uh, Right. When I was looking at the last presidential election and the fact that the last president has shaken hands with Donald Trump, goes to dinner with Donald Trump, uh, (laughs) is peaking with the best of the uh, of the worst of our folks up here, that that it is still under a colonized mindset. There are some protections to keep some folks out. But the reality of the matter is that not much has changed in terms of the government stepping in to be its own independent (laughs) um, economy and world person, world institution. They don't want to be that. They continue to want to be um, an underling of another another place as if they don't have everything that they need in order to survive. Um, and it, and it's, and that's like the part that I don't understand <laughs> that like you all are exporting all of these goods. You have the ability to survive with basically nothing. I mean, if you want to see recycling and sustainability practices, go to the Dominican Republic, right? Mm-hmm. Like they, they've been on the, on making sure that we are taking care of our planet. Um, and, and able to produce and eat and take care of itself. But, it's it's this this ongoing um, race to to the top of, of being as as Americanized as possible that's holding them back. That's sad, isn't it? It's a race to be as Americanized as possible, mm-hmm. and it's scary that mm-hmm. we have countries racing to be as Americanized as possible in all the worst ways in uh, in including building a wall or Bolsonaro, I think it was a former president of Brazil and seeing people do a January 6th type rally. Yep. In Brazil, because all of these people are like Trump. And if I'm not mistaken, Bolsonaro is now in Florida with Trump. Yeah, I mean, he got put into that uh, into that position, 
they took out Lula. They want. They thought that they had enough, right? Um, but I think folks in Brazil can can connect some dots a little bit better, and mm-hmm. luckily fought to, to to keep going in that trajectory. Because what has what did Bolsonaro do for Brazil to help it prosper? other than to continue to sell sell and destroy and dismantle all of its natural economy and resources and kill people at will, right? Like, they are whatever America is trying to put out there is not the solution or the salvation of any other country. Um, And that is why we have to leave with love, and that is why we have to figure things out and figure out how we bring folks together, because the the brainwashing is deep, and it is is hard to break because... America is seen as a the place of progress and evolution, and that is what they aspire to be. And it's like breaks my heart when I go to Punta Cana. I'm like, this is way too Americanized. Like, this should not be this way. You know, what breaks my heart is during the former president of Brazil's reign, there were uh, Afro-Brazilian organizers, um, mostly women, also trans women who were shot and killed and never investigated for organizing in their community during that time. And then when I looked at their mock January 6th um, rallies and storming, quote unquote, the Capitol, they they look like the same ones in America, mostly white. You didn't find uh, Afro-Brazilian person in that mix. And it breaks my heart when we look at the history of all of these countries and we still see, just like the American South, there's always a black grandmother in the kitchen that you can trace your lineage to. And just like black folks in the South, we were told, you know, you want to you want to be a credit to your race and you want to lighten up your bloodstream. And we were not told that we are beautiful and that we we possess and create mystic magic. And we come from a people who are kings and queens first. And we come from a people where original math and science and the original man was was first known. We're not told that that's kept from us. We're told to keep fighting each other over skin color. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much, Joanna, for being with us today. I know you got a lot of work to do going out there and making sure we elect leaders who say that we got to get out the mindset of scarcity like Brandon Johnson and Rosanna Rodriguez Sanchez. So thank you so much for all the work that you're doing. Absolutely. And thank you for all that you're doing, educating the masses every Sunday. Um, I'll be trying. Because <laughs> I see you, girl. <laughs> thank you. So we just bye. We just want to take a minute and thank the sponsors of our show. Um, starting with SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana, Missouri, and Kansas, my home, uh, Chicago Teachers Union Foundation, the Chicago Federal Federation of Labor, Cook County College Teachers Union 1600, who is fighting to have an elected county school board. City Colleges of Chicago, their board is appointed by the mayor. Sounds familiar. However, in the suburbs, they have elected boards. We need to make sure that the 
city colleges of Chicago also has an elected board, then you won't have uprisings like you had in Inglewood when they kicked that president out a couple months ago. Um, and friends of Brandon Johnson, look, y'all, it's Black History Month, but and people think that that only means American black people. Nah, because our black history struggle and our black history story has informed and pushed black history, black rebellion, black resistance across the world. And when I say that, everybody is like, what? Bob Marley studied Malcolm X. Bob Marley's music fueled the revolution in South Africa. The South African apartheid revolution fueled the early 80s in America with Spike Lee. We don't get a Spike Lee without a Bob Marley, without a Malcolm X, and without a Nelson Mandela. We are combined in the best ways and in the strangest ways. And we have to work together toward collective freedom. You all heard, Joanna. The Dominican Republic wants to build a wall where Haiti is. A wall. Haiti is the first independent nation. Caribbean nation in the world. 1805 fought for its freedom against the French. And you know what? Haiti pays reparations. No, I didn't get it wrong. Haiti pays reparations to France. Haiti is in debt because of those reparations to France over decades and decades. And being ignored by America that is right there. Haiti is a beautiful place for sugar and rice, but their rice patties won't flourish because they keep bringing rice in from somewhere else and telling them that's not good enough. So recently in Chicago, in Woodlawn, we had a case of migrants that were being shipped from Texas here. And people in that community were upset and they were upset for plenty of reasons. They were upset because they don't have the resources in their community as it is now. And then you're talking about bringing another set of people in that community. And I will be the first to say, yeah, some of that came from a place of racism. But also, some of that came from a place of scarcity politics. We live in a city where 40% of our budget goes to policing. Not parks, not schools, not mental health, not job placement, not even fixing our roads and bridges. Policing. So we operate on a theory of we only have so much. Chicago was what, the fifth or sixth? I think it's seventh or eighth. Biggest economy in the world. We do not have to operate on a fear of scarcity politics. There is enough to go around. There is enough to go around for low-wage workers in Chicago. There's enough to go around for people who make good money. There is enough for people to go around for black people, for brown people, for white people. 
There's a lot of Polish people in Chicago, first-generation Polish immigrants, same with uh, Chinese-Americans. But we cannot operate from the frame of scarcity politics. We have to know that there is enough for everybody. And we have to know that enough to elect people who believe that and not people that say stay home and not people who want to just fear monger their way to the fifth floor or fear monger their way to the second or third floor or ride in on the legacy of heroes of long ago. Because I'll tell you the truth about something. Harold Washington did set the framework. But we've had so many people be so divisive for so long. Some of that framework does need to be rebuilt. We cannot fight each other anymore. We have to know that we come, especially black and brown people in Chicago. We come from the same people with the same struggles. Shout out to those at the Discount Mall and Little Village who are standing their ground. Shout out to those vendors who I love. And as soon as the weather breaks, I promise you I'll get a fruta. But shout out to those vendors on the south side who are barbecuing on the street and making jerk chicken and trying to figure out how to get their own licenses and make a way. We're one people, y'all. We want Chicago. And the one thing we don't do is cut up pickles on Super Bowl Sunday. If the Lord says the same when Sunday comes, see you next week.